This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. So we've been in this series called Outlandish. And the idea of outlandish is that you were made for more. The idea of being outlandish in your faith is that God has more in store for you than what you experienced of him yesterday and even last year. What does it mean to be outlandish? A couple weeks ago, we kicked off this series and we looked at this definition of the word outlandish from Webster's Dictionary. And just to remind us, here's what it says. To be outlandish, to be strikingly out of the ordinary. I wonder if I'm talking to any out of the ordinary folks tonight. Come on. To be exceeding proper or reasonable limits or standards. When we talk about having an outlandish faith, we're talking about something that is out of the ordinary, something that's uncommon, something that's beyond what is proper, beyond what we might even say is natural. In many ways, what we're talking about is the supernatural. Having an outlandish faith is not just about you and I getting the right beliefs. That is important. That is critically important. But it's more about how you and I decide to live out those right beliefs. I'm talking about the way that we pray. I'm talking about the way that we serve. I'm talking about the way that we give. I'm talking about the way that we love, the way that Christ has first loved us. Having an outlandish faith is first and foremost about recognizing that God has made you for more. He's made you to experience more of him in your everyday life, more of his power, more of his love, and more of his Holy Spirit. And today, by the grace of God, we're going to equip you to live like it. Amen? If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 10. We're going to begin right there in verse 7 tonight. Chapter 10, verses 7 through 8 have been kind of what I call our key text for this series. And here's what it says. And proclaim as you go. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples here. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. I want you to underline that tonight, because we're going to focus on that part. Cast out demons. Hey, you received without paying, so give without paying. Some translations say freely you've received, freely you give. Today, I want to talk to us about being outlandish in our faith, more specifically about having a messy faith. And the title of my message tonight is this, bring out the lepers, bring out the lepers. First, the story about being messy. When my kids were yay high, about two, three, and four years old, they used to make a lot of messes. Uh, Truth be told, they still do. And they're 13, 12, and 11. They love mess making. They love to make messes. One time I caught my son on top of the refrigerator getting into the bananas. He was two years old. One time I I found a trail of banana peels leading to his room. And then he was passed out in the corner with banana all over his face. How many of you guys know when you're a toddler, you live in the mess? right? You get your food in your hair. You get it in your eyes. You get it in your face. You get it all over your clothes. Carl's Jr. used to have this commercial called, it doesn't belong in your face if it doesn't get all over the place. The idea is that as a child, you live a messy life. 
And I know, uh, you know, I can relate to this. Uh, when I was my son Keaton's age, when I was about two, my parents used to find me eating French fries off of the floor at McDonald's. Yeah, gross. I know, I know. And uh, I didn't have an aversion to germs. And neither does my youngest son, Keaton. Keaton, as a child, used to put everything into his mouth. If, if it was something he could put in his hands, he was going to taste it. There was a guaranteed fact that he was going to put it in his mouth and taste it. But interestingly enough, out of all my children, Keaton has been the healthiest. He's the kid who never gets sick. He's never unwell. And you know why? Because his immune system has so been built up by the amount of germs that he's ingested. Guys, there has been studies done to show that this is true. He never gets sick. His immune system is incredible. And I believe in the same way that God wants our spiritual immune systems to ingest some stuff, to bump up against some things. God has designed us as spiritually messy creatures. Now, I know that in the West, that in our educated, sophisticated mindset, we like to compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We like to have our spiritual life in this box. We like to have our work life in this box. We like to have our gym life in this box. We have our friend life in this box. So everything's nice and tidy. All right, any OCD people tonight? And I'm talking any OCD people? Okay. Pastor Jason is in what you call recovery for being OCD. I used to like my closet so organized that I had my hangers all organized. I had my clothes all color coordinated. Come on, I was a little obsessed. I like to compartmentalize things. But God didn't design us as, as spiritual beings to be compartmentalized. Every aspect of our life is spiritual. Every aspect of what you do is meant to touch and to bump into other things, spiritually speaking. He wants us to build up our spiritual immune system, or we could say develop spiritually by being exposed to things that are going to build us and challenge us. Spiritual warfare does this. And I believe that we actually develop spiritually when we are challenged in our faith, when we're most challenged. One of the ways that God challenges us in our faith is with regards to our own comfort. How many of you guys like to be comfortable? So yesterday, my wife and I were celebrating our 15-year anniversary. Woo! Come on, somebody! And we went to the Garth Brooks concert at the Rice-Eccles Stadium downtown, and it was amazing, right? And we took an Uber because we were so concerned about parking, and, and, and it was. It was crazy. They, they shut down blocks all around the stadium. So we decided to take an Uber. But apparently, the Uber driver didn't believe in AC because he kept the, the car a hot box, and it was 103 yesterday. So we got into the car, immediately hit bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, and just sat in 103-degree weather for about an hour and just cooked. How many of you guys know that's not very comfortable? I love the AC in my truck. I turn that sucker all the way up. Even in the winter, in January, my AC is blowing. Anybody else relate? <laughs> when I get into bed at night, I sleep on top of the covers. That's how hot-blooded I am. Anybody else relate to that? Yeah. My AC is always at about 68 degrees. I know my electric bill takes a toll for it, but I like things cold. I like things comfortable. 
I don't like to be uncomfortable. And many of us, with regards to our faith, don't want to be uncomfortable. But here's where we grow. Here's where we develop. When we allow God, the Holy Spirit, to take us beyond our comfort zone, beyond what is comfortable. I think this is one of the key ways that God challenges us with regards to our faith. And here in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is getting ready to take his followers beyond their comfort zone. How many of you guys know raising the dead is not exactly very comfortable? (laughs) I've been at some funerals where I've seen people try to do this, by the way. It's not very comfortable, especially when the guy's been dead a few weeks. But you know what? I'm open to it. I'm open to it. How about healing the sick? We talked about that two weeks ago. Sometimes it's not comfortable to pray for people and it's not comfortable to put our hands on them and expect them to get well, especially when they're fighting something that's terminal. I know I've been there, but yet Jesus calls us to do it, doesn't he? How about casting out demons? We're going to get to that in a a couple of weeks. That's not very comfortable. I I shared some of my story with that uh, in my encounter with the demonized lady downtown. That wasn't very comfortable. How about receiving without pay and giving without pay? Meaning being a generous giver. That's not always very comfortable. The demands that God places upon you and places upon me are meant to shape us and grow us spiritually. They're meant to challenge us in our faith. Jesus, knowing that his disciples need to be taken beyond their comfort zone, is getting ready to challenge them in their faith in a big way. And he's going to do it through what he's saying, cleanse the lepers. Cleanse the lepers. In biblical times, leprosy was considered to be one of the most serious diseases. Thankfully, today, we have a cure for leprosy. I just found out this the other day. My friend Michael, for those of you that were here last week, how many of you guys enjoyed Pastor Michael being with us? Pastor Michael lives in Texas, and in Texas, they have these things called armadillos, And apparently, armadillos are infectious with leprosy. Did anybody else know that? Okay, some of you did. Some of you who've traveled a little bit beyond, yes. But apparently, armadillos carry leprosy on them. Like, they're just rot with it. But thankfully, we live in the 21st century where there's medicine and cures for these diseases. So leprosy isn't as big of an issue for us as it was back then. But back in this day and age... Thousands of years ago, leprosy was basically a death sentence. It was serious. And it's mentioned 40 times or upwards to 40 times in the Bible. Here's what I want you to to do. I want you to listen to what one commentator says about it. He says this, among the 61 different kinds of defilements in ancient Jewish law, leprosy was second only to a dead body and seriousness. A leper wasn't even allowed to come within six feet of any other human being including his own family. The disease was considered so revolting that the leper wasn't permitted to come within 150 feet of anyone when the wind was blowing. Lepers lived in a community with other lepers until they either got better, and sometimes they did, or they died. Now, to understand some of the context of what Jesus is setting up for us tonight, I want us to go to the book of Leviticus because the book of Leviticus gives us some vivid details regarding God's instruction to his people Israel and how to deal with this disease. And here's what it says in chapter 13, verses two through three. 
When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin, then they shall be brought to Aaron the priest. Aaron was, was Moses' brother or to one of his sons, and the priest will examine the diseased area on the skin of the body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. And when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Unclean. Furthermore, Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 through 46 says this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothing and let the hair of their head hang loose and they will cover the upper lip and cry out themselves, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease because he's unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside of the camp. This was how serious getting leprosy was. So serious that you weren't to be in contact with anyone and you were relegated to a life of loneliness and solitude apart from the community, by yourself and oftentimes with other diseased lepers. And not only that, but you had to live with the shame of being un clean. I want us to keep that in our mind as I begin to thread this needle. Pause with me for a moment. Can you imagine living in this day and age and being given this diagnosis, how that would crush your spirit? Could you imagine how crushing it would be to your soul? I remember growing up in the 80s and, and early 90s when AIDS first came on the scene and no one knew anything about it. Do you remember how scared everyone was? Like everyone was, was freaked out. Like don't go near them, don't touch them. We don't know what to do. I, I liken leprosy to AIDS because that's pretty much what it was like for them. They didn't have a cure. They didn't know what to do. There were only these instructions given by them from God and how to respond to somebody so that the disease would not spread all throughout the camp. God did this in his love and mercy for the rest of the people. But I want you for a moment to enter into the shoes of the leper, into the shoes of the person who was called unclean. I want you to keep these in your mind as we encounter what Jesus does next and then what he calls his followers to do. Matthew chapter 8, two chapters before 10. We're given a glimpse of this encounter when Jesus encounters a leprous man. This is his first encounter with a leper. And here's what it says. Verse one, when Jesus came down the mountain, great crowds followed him. I want you to remember that great crowds were following and all around Jesus and behold, a leper came to Jesus. Where was Jesus in the midst of the crowd? What did the leper do? He had to get through the crowd to get to Jesus. And he knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, God, if it's your will, you can make me clean. You can cleanse me. Verse three, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do will be clean. And immediately the man's leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. That's Jesus being ironic. There's crowds all around him. The Bible's full of hyperbole if we're paying attention. 
See to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. Why? That's what Leviticus asked them to do. And to offer the gift that Moses commanded. Now, wait a second. Time out. What is he talking about? It's easy for us to miss what Jesus is doing here if we don't know our Bible. And most of us don't know Leviticus all that well, so I'm going to help you. We know from the context of Leviticus 13 that the leprous man had to break the law in order to come to Jesus. He had to leave his life of isolation and he had to make his way through the crowd. We know that that was already forbidden. We know that he had to come close, right? Within a few feet of Jesus. We know that that was already forbidden. Just think of how many people the leprous man probably exposed himself to in getting through the crowds. These are, these are a lot of people here. Hundreds if not thousands of people. Imagine what he had to do to get to Jesus. But here's what I want us to notice. The leprous man knew that only Jesus could make him clean. He knew that there was something that only Jesus could do that he was willing to defy social convention, to break the law, and to do what was forbidden to get a hold of Jesus. In other words, he had an outlandish expectation of what Jesus could do for his life. And as a result, he was willing to risk it all to become clean. Because, number one for us today, messy faith risks it all for Jesus. It risks it all. A life that's in pursuit of Jesus is a life that's outlandish. It's risky. It's dangerous because it means that sometimes you may be asked to break with social convention. It means that sometimes you may be misunderstood for your actions. It means sometimes you may even be resented and hated for your beliefs. I know during this whole last year with COVID-19, there were so many mixed responses to what was going on in our world and in our life and people wearing masks, people not wearing masks, people policing others and getting angry and resentful. And you'd think that everyone had leprosy with the way that everyone was being treated. And I'm not here to denigrate the seriousness of the disease or what's going on. And some of you have, have battled it. And some of you have come out the other side victorious. And I know people that have battled that, that have lost their life and that haven't, but you would think that in the midst of everything going on, that we would be a little more merciful and a little more gracious. And what I experienced out in the world was a whole lot more anger and resentment and hostility. I wonder if this leprous man faced the same kinds of realities. In coming to Jesus, he had to make a decision. I could get thrown in jail. I could be stoned to death. I could lose my life. I could hurt other people. I could expose others. I could be, you know, the one responsible for corrupting a whole crowd. And yet he was willing to risk it all for Jesus because he had this conviction somehow and somewhere in the depth of his heart that Jesus was worth it and that only Jesus could cleanse him. He risked it all to come to Jesus. But I would say to us tonight, even more surprisingly, more shockingly, Jesus risked it all to cleanse him because, number two, Jesus gave it all to cleanse us. To be seen near a leper was risky, but to actually touch one, Jesus reaches out his hand 
and touches the man that had the disease. We already know that was forbidden. We, all, we already know the cost and the risk of doing that. But we need to consider something else that I think sometimes is overlooked, and I already alluded to it, and it's, it's actually found in Leviticus chapter 5. And I want to read from verses 2 through 6 because it helps provide context for what Jesus is doing here. It says this in verse 2, If anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean animal or a carcass of an unclean livestock, or verse three, if he touches human uncleanliness or uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean. Next verse. And it is hidden from him when he comes to know it, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin. Wait a second, time out. When did sin enter the picture? When did sin have anything to do with the leprosy? Perhaps there's something beyond just the disease or this person being at dis-ease with himself and God and his community. When he realizes his guilt, when he realizes his sin, and he brings to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. This is so easy to miss, but I want us to catch this tonight. Here, this leprous man was encountering the only true priest that could ever make atonement for his sin, the only true priest that could cleanse him that could deal with not just his leprosy, but the deeper core issue, his sin. We could call it the leprosy of the soul. Sure, the leprosy was going to be taken care of too. But the real plan that Jesus had for the leper and the real plan that he has for us is so much bigger than just making us well and curing our diseases and giving us a comfortable, well-put-together life. The bigger plan was to make atonement for our sins. And we know that Jesus would go on to do this by way of the cross. On the cross, Jesus risked it all and he gave it all to cleanse you and to cleanse me from every sin. Every sin. And here's why this doesn't make us as excited as Pastor Jason is right now. Because we think that when Jesus went to the cross, all that he did was forgive us. We believe that all he did was pardon us. When the reality is, according to Leviticus 5 and Matthew 8 and Matthew 10 here, Jesus did more than just pardon your sin. He did more than just forgive your debt. He did more than just make peace between you and God. He cleansed you from every sin. He cleansed us. He doesn't just forgive us. He cleanses us. And you're going to see why this is important in just a moment. God actually promised that he would do this. He says this in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 8. The prophetic promise was always there. God says, I will cleanse the people from all the guilt of their sin. How many are thankful for being cleansed of the guilt from your sin? And... Separate from that, I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and their rebellion against me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 in the New Testament actually echoes this. 
It says it this way, verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. How many are thankful for forgiveness? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is going to click. I'm going to be excited when it does. <laughs> Acts chapter 10, verse 15 says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Beloved, when Jesus went to the cross, he did so to forgive us our sins, absolutely. But he did so to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So much so that when he looks at you, and when he looks at me, he no longer sees an unclean, leprous person. He says, clean. He says, clean. Where the first priest says, unclean, unclean. Where the first leper had to live in his shame and, and tell people that he was unclean. The true high priest, Jesus Christ himself, once and for all upon the cross, says, clean. He says, it's clean. Oh, I'm telling you, it's going to click and you guys are going to get set free. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Some of us are still struggling with our closet and secret pet sins because we don't know that God has already cleansed us from every sin and all unrighteousness. In other words, we're still living in the guilt trap, what I call the sin cycle. We're playing this carousel with God where we make mistake, 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 mistake. Sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God. Run back to the cross. Mistake, 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 mistake. Sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God. And we're in this repetitive loop. We feel remorse one day and then the next day we feel sorrow. And then we feel guilt. And then we feel set free. And we're constantly repeating the cycle because deep down in our hearts, we haven't grabbed a hold of this truth yet. This truth has not conformed us to its image yet. We don't know that God has already cried out clean. He's already through the blood of Jesus cleansed you. It's a done deal. You can't add to it and you can't take away from it. So on your best day, you're clean. And on your worst day, you're clean. And on your, 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 your most hyped up day, you're clean. And on your most depressing day, you're clean. No matter what, if Christ is your righteousness, if you look to Jesus for your salvation, if you look to Jesus for your justification, that's your new identity, guys. Now we're starting to get it. Now it's starting to click. We look at the leprous person and feel bad for them. Oh, that's so sad. When what Jesus was trying to do was to, to get us to pay attention to the deeper issue. Could Jesus heal the, the, the sickness and the, the disease of leprosy? Sure. No problemo. That was easy. You know what cost Jesus everything? The cross. To give us this reality. To be clean. For God to be able to say, you know what, guys? Through the blood of Jesus, I'm cleansing you from all unrighteousness and every sin. That cost Jesus something. It's a free gift to us, but it cost Jesus everything. In the spirit of extending this kind of grace to other people, Jesus commands his followers to go and to do what? To cleanse the lepers. To extend the same forgiveness and the same grace 
and the same love that they themselves had received and borne witness to. That's why in Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 8, he could say, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. What Jesus was doing for us, he's now calling us to go and do for others. He's saying, guys, I want to do it through you. I want to extend the same love and life and forgiveness and the cleanliness of God and the holiness of God and all the whole package. I want to do it through you. He's essentially saying, bring out the lepers. Bring me the broken. Bring me the downtrodden. Bring me the outcast. Bring me the unreachable. Bring me the untouchable. And let's put our hands around them. Let's bring them back into the camp. Let's bring them back into the family of God. Come on, you and I go and do it. You cleanse the lepers now. Just as I'm about to cleanse you, you now go and do it. Church, this is our mission. This is our mandate to reach the one, to reach the unlovable, the people on the, out, on the margins, those that have been outcasted, those that we're not supposed to touch. Isn't it interesting to me that in a year of pain and sorrow and death, the one thing that all happened to all of us was we became isolated from each other. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do to us, to get us alone, to get us outside the camp, to get us saying unclean, unclean. When what Jesus is calling us to do is to come into the family where there's a table setting already with our name on it, where grace upon grace upon grace has been extended to us and it's already paid for. It's already a done deal. It's already finished. What God calls clean. Do not let anybody tell you is unclean. That's you tonight. If your faith, hope, and trust is in Jesus, that's you. That's your identity. That's the way that Jesus sees you. And if you could get a hold, a glimpse of that, you'd stop struggling with addiction. You'd no longer be trying to resist something and you'd be living from a different reality, from a different place. Your beliefs define your actions. Your actions define your habits. Some of you guys are stuck in bad habits because you still have a bad belief. You still think there's something more that you got to do. And Jesus did it all. You can see why I'm fired up about this. Because I too used to be caught in that carousel, trying to live my best Christian life. And I was offering to God my filthy rags. And I'm like, hey, God, isn't this great? And he's like, no, it's filthy. But what I want to give you is so much better. It's clean. It's immaculate. It's amazing. The minute we grab a hold of that, church, is the minute we begin to be set free from the cycle of sin and addiction and shame and guilt that God so desperately wants to liberate you from. My prayer for us tonight is that we would begin to catch a glimpse of this reality of the fact that Jesus came to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Meaning there's nothing you can do today, yesterday, or tomorrow that hasn't already been taken care of through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews tells us that Jesus once and for all made the sacrifice and then sat down at the right hand of God. It's a done deal. The veil's been torn. A new and living way has been made for us to enter into his presence. Why? Because we've been cleansed. 
because he no longer sees us as lepers. He no longer sees you as a sinner. He sees you as redeemed. He sees you as chosen. He sees you as beloved. He sees you as clean. That's your reality. Now, when we start to believe it, that's when things are going to change. That's when new godly habits are going to be formed. That's when your thoughts about yourself are going to line up with what God's word says about you. For some of us, we're like, I don't know. There's a bit of a gap between what God is saying about me and the way I'm living. That's okay. Close the gap. Close the gap. How do you do that, Pastor Jason? I'm glad you asked, class. You do that by believing what God says about you by standing on the word of God until that belief becomes your identity in Christ. When I counsel people, when I sit down with people who are getting married, when I spend time trying to help people with their addiction and pain, I don't spend time trying to get them to stop it. (laughs) What you resist actually will persist. You know what I try to do? I try to help them form new thoughts about themselves. I try to help them get new, renewed thoughts about themselves in light of what Christ has already done. Because once we grab the revelation of this and it begins to transform our hearts, what's in us begins to transform our actions. Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean or defiles him. It's what comes out. That's why you got to change your belief system, church. You got to stop believing the way that you used to believe. When you come to Christ, you put off the old self with all of its mess and, and ways of thinking. And when you come to Christ, you put on the new man. You become a new creation in Christ. What does that mean? It, becomes, it means your mind's renewed. It means you begin to agree with what God's word says about you. That where God says clean, you no longer say, I'm just unclean and unworthy. No, you're not. Jesus didn't die for you to stay unworthy. You're a new creation. You're worthy. You're clean. If we could grab a hold of this, mm, imagine what our families would look like. Imagine what our marriages would look like. Imagine what our kids would look like. Imagine what our cities would look like. That's my hope. That's my hope for this valley. That people would be brought out of their shame and brought into a place of freedom where they breathe in the fresh air of who Jesus says they are. How many of you guys are tired of waking up feeling guilty and ashamed? How many of you tired of your old way of thinking, of getting caught in that loop, that cycle, just on repeat, it's like playing the same song over and over. When I turn on my Spotify playlist, there's a little button that says loop, and you can just play the same songs over and over, and some of us, that's where we are. We're playing the same song over and over and over. Some of you have been playing it for years. And today, Jesus is offering you the chance to hit stop and begin a new song. A new song. Church, that's the invitation. When Jesus says, cleanse the lepers, that's really what he's after. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for the reality that you invite us into Because of your son, Jesus, because of the blood, you now say clean, clean. You no longer look at us through the same lens of our sin and guilt and shame. You now look at us through the blood, through the lens of forgiveness and grace as those who you have imputed your righteousness to. We are yours, God. We are no longer just sinners saved by grace. We are 
new creations in Christ Jesus. That's how you see us. Lord, when we rise, your thoughts toward us are good. Your thoughts toward us are pure. Your thoughts toward us are holy. And so God, I pray that this reality would become the reality that we live in. That we would look to you, yes, for forgiveness. And if there's anybody in this place tonight that hasn't asked Jesus to forgive them, this is your moment. But Lord, it's, it's bigger than just forgiveness. You're cleansing us from every aspect of unrighteousness. Every mistake, every transgression, all iniquity, every sin paid for by the blood of Jesus. So tonight, as Jen begins to play, I want us just to spend a few moments in response to this message, worshiping Jesus. And I wanna give anybody here tonight who's never made Jesus their personal Lord and Savior, meaning they've never surrendered their life, I wanna give you the opportunity right now to do so, to yield doing life according to your terms and to begin to follow the Messiah. I wanna lead you in a prayer. And it goes like this, Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have kept me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God, the Messiah. I believe that you died on that cross to cleanse me from every sin and all unrighteousness today and forever. Jesus, I ask that you now come and make me a new creation. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit. The only way that you could do that is if you saw me as clean. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to overflow all the days of my life and make all things new. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.